welcome to episode 34 of the Lace Month Podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Games 1 through 3 are in the books. Game 4 will be underway uh, probably on the day of your listening to this podcast, not the day after, in which case uh, it'll be just games 1 through 3. That's pretty much the only relevant part of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, But regardless, we're talking Stanley Cup Finals as well. uh, Someone calling Crosby a cheater. I'm sure that's a new one (laughs) nobody's ever heard of. Um, Ken Hitchcock staying for one more year. Uh, The last year for him, uh, we'll talk about that. Also, a defenseman could be on the move, according to Bob McKenzie. Kirk Muller back in Montreal. Um, The Hurricanes owner in some hot water. A couple of signings, a couple of ads on jerseys, maybe. Uh, Look back at the Memorial Cup final. It was a dandy. And uh, we're going to sound off on... uh, the passing of a uh, sports legend uh, before the podcast is all said and done. But first, shout-outs to all the NHLers past and present who have uh, done the jersey number 34. Um, of course, John Van Beesbrook, probably the most notable on that list, as is Jeff Cortnoll and Mika Kippersov. Uh Byron Defoe, goalie for the Boston Bruins, your Boston Bruins. I think he was the only UK goalie drafted by an NHL franchise. He was taken by the Capitals in 89. Uh, Manny Legacy also wore number 34. Um, Won a Stanley Cup with the Red Wings as well. So a couple of goalies here. Yeah, got got quite a few goalies. Um, We'll get to some modern-day ones in a second. Also, Al Iafredi, uh, Brian Burrard, Gord Donnelly, who was a penalty machine for Quebec and Winnipeg back in the day, Uh, Jamie McCown, Decent score during his time as well. Uh, Jean-Luc Grandpierre. He didn't really do all that much offensively. I just love his name. <laughs> uh, Wade Dubowitz, who uh, unfortunately sunk a lot of Leaf fans' hopes in making the 2007 playoffs on the final day of the regular season. Uh, and a couple of, like I said, notable NHL boys today who wear number 34 include Jake Allen, Peter Mrazek, and James Reimer, who is searching for his first Stanley Cup with uh, the Sharks. So to all those past and present who have worn number 34 in the NHL, this podcast is for you. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. I wonder why so many goalies wear number 35. I don't know. Uh, number 35, yeah, that's another common goalie number. You'll, 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 you'll hear a lot of notable uh, names in that department next week for sure. Uh, but mean, yeah, oh, no, num- number 34, oh, is yeah, this 34? Think a common number for a goalie. Wait, oh, <laughs> this is 34. I thought this was episode 35. Okay. No, no, 35 is next week, and there are going to be okay. a lot of goalies in that, too. But you're okay. right. In number 34, you don't I guess there are, you, you would think that would be much of a goalie number, but I guess Van Beesburg popularized it a little bit. Yeah, possibly. that's probably true. All right, let's get going, though. Uh, oh, no, wait. Uh, let's not get going, because I have to do the social media stuff first. Right. Uh, so you can uh, know when we're getting yeah. going on the hottest topics of the week. Exactly. Uh, the, uh, Twitter is Lace Em Up, uh, pod, uh, Lace Up Podcast. Lace Em Podcast, you're close. Uh, I always mess this up. One of those it's so It's so funny, too, because I, like, run both these yeah. accounts. You're and, on a roll last week, too. And I still, like, I still mess them up every week. Okay, Lace Em um, Podcast, at Lace Em Podcast on, on Twitter. On Twitter. Uh, yeah. Facebook is Lace Em Up. Or you can just search Lace Them Up, I guess. Um, and uh, SoundCloud, you can catch us on SoundCloud. Follow us there. Um, Lace Them Up there. Um, I think podcast. We also have iTunes, there. I think. Yeah, iTunes, subscribe there, rate us. Um, yeah. Um, oh, and mail, uh, email us at Facebook, uh, feedback, feedback <laughs> and, and questions. Um on uh, on Gmail for uh, yeah, it's laceupbag at gmail.com. Yeah, laceupbag at gmail.com. Um, any feedback, any yeah. comments, questions. If you want to send any questions to us on our Facebook page, we accept those too. Yeah, anything. Even a tweet, yeah. tweet at us, even. Yeah, you can tweet at us as well. We're, we're easily accessible. Exactly. Um, so, 
Um, I think that's it. Um, all right, let's get going. So it's um, so this is recorded on Sunday, and uh, right. So there's only there's been three games played already. All the home teams have won. I I always like to say that it's not really a series until the away team has won. Yeah, you're um, not in trouble until you lose at home. That's the old exactly. cliche. So, like, even though it looks like the Penguins have pretty much dominated the series, um, I was like, it's not over yet because they haven't won it. They haven't won an away game yet. Um, and they didn't win an away game. They almost did, but... Um, no, uh, thanks to Jonas Donskoy. Jonas Donskoy. Jonas Donskoy. And uh, Joel Ward, who is also clutch. Um, they uh, The Sharks won last night. Um, I felt like the Penguins, I don't know if you watched too closely to that game last night, but I thought the uh, Sharks played, like, I thought the Penguins have been playing a lot better than the Sharks have overall. They just seem more fast. And, you know, have just taken more shots. Um, but I actually have to look at the shot totals of all these teams. But Yeah, well, uh, I'll, I'll save you a bit of trouble because, um, according to Complete Hockey News, the Pittsburgh Penguins have outshot their opponents in a remarkable 12 straight playoff games, tying the 2008 Detroit Red Wings and, of course, the 2009 Pittsburgh Penguins for the most in the last 15 years. By the way, both of those aforementioned teams won the Stanley Cup, right. and the Sharks winning uh, marks the yeah. first time since 2002 that the entire Stanley Cup playoffs did not feature a sweep. Wow. Oh, yeah, I, heard, I saw that um, the other day. All right, so Pen- last night, the Penguins, or Game 3, the Penguins got 42 shots. The Sharks got 26 shots. Yeah. Um, which is kind of absurd. That's like... More and, than and half. They got nine, nine of those shots in the first overtime. That's well. almost more than half the shots. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm mean, looking at game two and game one, but I mean, you can you can say your spiel if you want. Well, yeah, like it. They were out. They as as much as you know, they outshot the, the Sharks. They outshot them fourteen to six in the opening twenty minutes. They yeah. were also out hit. 20 to 9 in that first period. In the game, they are out hit a remarkable 47 to 17. And they also blocked 38 shots. So their bodies were pretty banged up. Yeah. And again, they're still without Trevor Daly. I don't really um, take too much to shots. I mean, it hits um, just because I feel like those that's like very biased towards the different people, because it's like, oh, you get a hit, because, you know, it's hard to quantify a hit. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that well, is as, something as, to... As, you know, getting getting out hit, you know, on the road, you know, that gives that gives the home crowd energy, you would think. All right, so in game one, Pittsburgh got 41 shots, San Jose got 26. And then in the second game, it was a little closer, Pittsburgh had 30 shots, and San Jose had 22. But, um... Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in the opening game, they outshot the Sharks in the first 15-4. to In the third, they outshot them 18-9. to yeah. So the first and the final period, they dramatically outshot them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, I, and then, all, I mean, it also shows that, like, I think, like, the Penguins um, haven't really scored that many goals. So they could, like, shoot a lot. But uh, I guess credit to Martin Jones for keeping yeah. them in the game. Um, it did look like in game one that the Sharks were, like, lethargic in the first and the second, but then they sort of, like, picked it up in the third, I mean, then they yeah. were pretty good in the, in the second game, although they just didn't pull, pull through, but, yeah. um, and I don't the think the series clock, is over. It was, it was, it was 30-22, to 22, the shot clock in yeah. game two, so it was much closer in that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly, well, I just said that, yeah, but, uh, okay. um, the, uh, but I don't think the series is over, um, not yet, at least. Uh, we haven't... I mean, obviously, the, the big guns in San Jose haven't really shown yet, like Brent Burns and Joe Pavelski and um, Lil, Joe Thornton and Logan Couture, those guys. Um, well, it's, it's funny they haven't shown, but... Yeah, but they're, it's funny um, you mentioned Brent Burns, because he, uh, he got two points in Game 1 yeah. to help the Sharks tie the game. 
Unfortunately, before that, Pittsburgh gets two goals in just over a minute. Yeah. And Brian Rust, who got the first goal of the Stanley Cup Finals, right. that gave him four of the Pens five of the, of the Pens previous five goals at that point, which is right. astonishing. Um, and, and then, then he got injured. Um, and he got hurt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the Penguins didn't seem to Brian miss Molly. that much of a beat, or it hasn't shown yet. Um, and and you big goal, Benino, another game winner for him. Yep. And game Benino, two Benino, was a game Benino. of inches. I mean, I counted at least five goalposts from each side at the start of overtime. Um, and they outshot the Sharks 23-11 through the first 40 minutes. Uh, and I didn't watch much of the game, so I can't say for certain if the officiating was on point. But I'm, I uh, the fact that three penalties were called through the first two periods and none were called in the final 22-35 of the game. Either yeah. both sides were playing wise or the refs put their whistles away and just decided think, to let them play. I think that was it. I think yeah. there, because it's it's like there's hardly ever like a clean sixty minutes of hockey. So, um, yeah, so that may have been it um, attributed to it. But yeah, I, that is a good point, though. Um, you talk about Pavel- Pavelski, Couture, and Burns. I mean, they're throwing their weight around in game two. Like thirteen of San Jose's forty three hits came from them, but they failed to score. And Couture and Pavelski combined for two shots in that game after combining for six in game one. And then the first period of Game 3, both didn't have a shot on yeah. it. And but, they were, again, held rather quiet. And I, I think, I think both players haven't scored still. I think they're... Yeah, they haven't scored yet. But um, I think they're too good not to be on the slump for a bit. So I, I expect them to be back pretty soon. Um, you know, they're both, like, two of the best in the world. So I don't, I don't worry too much. But I, I'm just going to say I don't think this series is over. Um, On the one hand, it could, have e- it could have easily been over. I mean, you, you look at that double minor to uh, Benino. I mean, it didn't really look like much of a double minor on Jumbo Joe's face. I mean, yeah, yeah he got clipped, but he wasn't really Jumbo pleading Joe's all that face. much. And, yeah. and they pretty much just killed off the double minor. And then <laughs> that Joel Ward squeaker, you, sometimes, you know, on the, on the Xbox... Your controller gets disconnected, yeah. and you have no control. That's pretty much what happened to Matt Murray on that goal. Like, it just squeaked through his arm and went in. That's a goal I think every goalie admits. Wish you know, would probably that. like to have that back yeah. look, looking at the replay. But uh, um, Joel Ward has history of, like, uh, oh, yeah. clutch goals you know, like that. Joel Ward, he did what he's supposed to do. Throw the puck yeah. on net, and it works. No, no, he has a history of um, clutch goals. Like, I was looking. Yeah. Like, he had one, he, uh, he had one against... Um, he uh, shut out. He had this game-winning goal against my Bruins in 2012. Yeah, overtime game seven, I believe. Yep. Um, I, I, yes, that is true. As I recall, I like to uh, put that down, but uh, no, that that did happen. Was that final game as a Bruin? I think it might have been. Um, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, then he got suspended for the whatever. Right. Yeah, they took um, a year off. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, and then he had, I think he had a couple more in uh, in the Caps um, playoff runs after that, like in 2013 and 2014. Um, and then he had some uh, even in this uh, playoff run for the Sharks. So that was a good acquisition for the the Sharks um, this year. Also, Don Skoy has been a good. Uh, he's kind of been uh, besides the last goal that was. Uh, he's been kind of underrated so far, but he's been pretty good, too. Yeah, he had um, a lot of chances, apparently, uh, yeah. in Game 3. Um, I think, apparently, he was, like, a former Florida Panther oh, really? or something like that. Uh, yeah. Um, he has an interesting history, I think, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and the goal he scored, it was a nice shot. Went off Matt Murray's face and in, but yeah. still a nice shot, nonetheless, you know, considering he went around the net and he just pretty much just turned around and shot it pretty quick, you know, didn't really get much of an angle on the shot. Yeah. Uh, but you look at, you know, all the little things that they, that the Sharks did, like Tommy Wingles and Nick Spalling both had seven hits in game three. Right. And on the goal that on the, in the, in the overtime winner, Melker Carlson took a hit in the corner, lost his stick, lost his glove. The play continued, led to the Donskoy goal. He goes yeah. to the bench and just as he's getting on the bench. Everyone's piling on the ice and it's game over. All right. So, you know, taking a hit to make a play, Melker Carlson certainly did that there because he kept the play alive. The Sharks kept possession, and yeah. 
Don Scory did the rest. It was a nice goal too. Is like yeah. especially in an overtime, like when people players are tired, it's just like a straight shot like that. That was that was nice. Yeah, so Jets I fa- need to get off to a good start though. Both yeah. all three games no, Pittsburgh's that. gotten the early lead. Okay, so I looked at this on. Uh, so he was drafted by Minnesota in 2010, mm. and they uh, trade Minnesota traded him with the third round pick, uh, who turned out to be Joe Basaraba to Florida Never. Panthers. Yeah, uh, to the Florida Panthers for a round two pick, which uh, was uh, Jason Zucker. Mm. Um, then he played for Finland. He played in the Finland league for a bit. Um, not too bad stats here. Like, uh, his last year, he had 30, he had 49 points in 58 games. Um, 36, by the way, 36 points in 76 games in the regular season right now. But 12 points in 21 games in the playoffs. Um, so that's much better. But, so he played in that for a couple years, and then he signed with the Sharks instead of the Panthers. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know. That's like a mini history lesson for you guys. Well, here's uh, another history lesson. Apparently, Don Scoy's game winner was the first either overtime winner in the Cup Finals or a game winner in the Stanley Cup Finals since Curry, Yari Curry, in '87. So that first, goes back a ways, almost thirty years ago. Wait, say that again. First OT. I, I believe it was the first overtime winner or the first game-winning goal in the Stanley Cup playoffs by a. Finished oh, finished since Yari Curry in nineteen eighty seven. I missed that finish part. I thought yeah, you, I thought you is, meant like which is about thirty years ago. <laughs> I thought you meant like this was the first oh, like game like overtime goal in the Stanley no, Cup Finals. No, first overtime goal <laughs> since or Yari game Curry. winner in the Stanley Cup Finals um, by a Finish player since yeah, Yari Curry. I was just like that, that can't yeah, be. Yeah, I, I went pretty fast on that one. Um, no. You may you may have said it. I I may be hard of hearing right now, but it's okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's unfortunate though that you know the Sharks go on this run, and it's it's during it's probably during uh, the time where everyone is so focused on like you know other sports like the NBA Finals yeah. and the French Open was also going on. I I don't even and know baseball's if, getting if going. NHL, yeah, baseball too. Are uh, my Red Sox are playing your Blue Jays right now? So yeah. But, um, yeah, so I guess we can uh, get going on this. I guess this is kind of a non-story, but it was a big deal after Game 1, or Game 2. Um, Logan Couture uh, was co- asked um, after Game 2 when they lost um, about Crosby in the face-off circle, because Crosby had this, like, like, the OT winner in that game. Crosby just basically... Uh, passed it from the face-off circle to Logan uh, to Connor Sherry, and then he scored. If you haven't uh, seen, pa- passed it to Latang. The Latang gave it to yeah. Sherry, and then he ended it. Um, and then um, there's like video of him like talking to all his line mates about like yeah, what the and plan Latang's was. Like I'm gonna win. I'm coming yeah. go to you. Yeah, and then apparently Connor Sherry said that he didn't tell me what to do with the puck. He just told me that I was gonna get the puck, which no. is kind of funny. Um, so. Um, so, anyways, Logan Couture uh, was asked on uh, Sidney Crosby's face-off thing. So, here's the exact quote or the dialogue here. So, the question was, Sid seems to have ability to win those face-offs so clean, especially in the offensive zone. What's the challenge when he does that? And then Logan says, he cheats. He gets away with that. He's Sidney Crosby. And then the, the guys, the follow-up is, how did he cheat? What does he do? Um, and then Logan goes, he, te- he times them, and yet they don't kick him out for some reason, probably because of who he is. Um, and then this sort of started an uproar. Like, on one side, all the Penguins fans were saying that he was like a, you know, he's just a crybaby. It's kind of sour grapes. And in a way, he's right. And then, like, other people were saying, like, every face, everyone does this kind of thing. Um, everyone cheats on the face-offs kind of thing. Um, and then uh, Mike Sullivan was asked about this before, um, um, and he just said, I have no response to it, which is good well, way of... He, 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 which is kind of redundant, because he, he exp- I, I heard the quote, and, yeah. and he, he kind of gave a brief explanation, you know, Crosby's talents... 
you know, something you, yeah. know, you just can't teach. It's one of the best at it. It doesn't it's really warrant a response. But that, that was the, uh, no, that was the direct quote, is that he has no response to it. Yeah. Um, or I have no response to it, I guess. That would be the direct quote. Um, and then anyway, so then Couture later backtracks. Um, by the way, these are both, uh, these are both tweets from Yahoo, Puck Daddy, um, just so I get my sources straight, it's yeah. not like I'm, I'm actually physically talking to these people. Couture says, uh, so then Couture kind of backtracked. He said, everyone cheats on Facebook. I cheat, Jumbo cheats. That's how you try and win draws. He's one of the best at it. Um, so this is kind of a non-story, but it did get a lot of, um, buzz around. I remember you, you Facebooked me on like, you messaged me like the day after you're just like, Logan uh, says that Crosby cheats, uh, cheats, and then we kind of had a. We didn't really discuss it, but I was just like, it's kind of an interesting thing. I think I, I like how I like yeah. how you I like how you said everyone cheats at Facebook. Yeah. In one of the quotes, and then you followed up with me saying, "Couture said Sidney Crosby tweets." Yeah. This isn't my best day so far no, in terms of talking. You should totally stay on the on the blooper reel. Like that's yeah. that's, that's legendary stuff right there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but I, uh, but yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. The uh, I don't I don't think it's too much of it. I don't know the whole like mechanisms of face face offs. <laughs> I almost said Facebook's there, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know the mechanisms of face offs, but like. From what I imagine is, like, I guess what he was saying is that, like, he, um, he, like, times it so that it, like, it pucks, like, I don't see how that's cheating, really. No, um, I, that's how you would draw it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If your timing's not right, you're gonna lose the draw. Yeah. And, and I he think, was 71% on that night. Yeah. In game two. Well, Crosby's one of the best face-off guys in the league, mm-hmm. so... Um, apparently I was like reading somewhere that like one summer he was like bad. He realized he was bad at face offs. So like he yeah, took the endlessly, whole summer, he took the whole summer just better. practicing on Facebook, uh, face offs. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It, it so showed great improvement the year after. And then showed great. Yeah. And I think it's like some, but I think it's like face offs are something that like, not even like a diehard fan, like you or me would like yeah, even notice, you know? So like I don't even the faceoffs in the world. If you can't keep the puck in your zone yeah. or can't keep possession, you lose the game. Faceoffs don't don't matter. Well, they it, do they in a matter. sense. They don't but matter if you can't keep control of the puck. Well, they do in the sense that like you you want the puck more, but well, like yeah. you get you have more of a chance of possessing the puck more. But uh, yeah, I mean they don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. It's not like. You know, if you win, if your team wins more faceoffs, your team wins the game, kind of thing. It's not like Quidditch, but um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, but I don't you, know. You hear a lot of people say a lot of other stuff, like we lost the game because of this, because of this, because yeah. of this. Losing the game on faceoff dot is not the first thing that usually comes to mind. True, and I think it was just. I mean, I think that's the thing too is that Couture was probably asked this like like a. Ten minutes after he he lost the game, he's probably bitter. He's probably he's probably mad. You know, I think they were he, even a competitive as far guy. as team faceoffs, both yeah. at thirty six apiece or something. It, Marie, that was yeah. Game one. And if yeah. you're a competitive guy, you're probably like you know you're you're probably thinking of oh this guy cheats kind of thing. So I actually kind of like in a way I kind of respect this move because it's um. Because it's like shows that he cares, but on the other side, it's like, come on, man! It's like See, he didn't lose because of the face-off. It's funny because yeah. some some people say Crosby whines too much, right? And yet someone's whining about <laughs> how he cheats and gets away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, game three, there was this play where Crosby got hold up. There's no call. Yeah, he totally gets away with everything. But yeah. Nino's double minor high sticking. <laughs> I think the Sharks got a lucky break there. Yeah, yeah. they totally get away with everything. Um, and also, yeah, but I do, I do respect, like, I feel like hockey needs more of these kind of, like, quips, like, where, like, they're, like, just calling out people, uh, for, like, (laughs) for random things. I feel like, I feel like the hockey world needs more, like, of those guys who are willing to say, like, this guy sucks, this guy cheats, this guy whatever. Um, it doesn't even have to be Crosby. I know Crosby gets a brunt of 
criticism, uh, even now. <laughs> like there was a, the other week. I don't know if we covered this, but the other week, uh, Jeremy Roenick said on the broadcast in the intermission. I don't know if it was in Canada, but he said that uh, Crosby needs could learn something about Jonathan Duran on work ethic. And that was like the funniest thing too, because and then like oh, and it was before the overtime. And then Crosby scores that overtime winner. So it was just, like, hilarious that, like, Jeremy Roenick was so wrong. And of oh, all the players, it's Jonathan Drouin. Just, like, totally Drew. oblivious yeah. to what Jonathan Drouin has gone through yeah. in the entire, in, uh, throughout yeah. the entire year. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. He did, I guess he did show some work ethic in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, there were times in the in playoffs. where he, yeah. he, he had this mammoth shift. And, but like, like, I've never seen anyone work that hard to but like, But, like, comparing, like, Crosby, who, like, as we just talked about, like, practices in the summer just to yeah. improve on anything – when he's already, like, the best in the world, mm-hmm. to, like, compare that work ethic to, like, a guy who, like, willingly didn't, <laughs> like, isn't going to, like, skate for the team because he uh, he age, isn't getting Ellie. playing, because he isn't getting playing time. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> those guys are comparable. Yeah, um, now, he, he, yeah. Here's, here's the thing about the whole Couture thing, and, and here's my theory on this. It doesn't really shock me the former 67 would be so quick to backtrack on his comments your team's down 2 nothing, heading back to the Shark Tank. Yeah. Everyone knows you're not in trouble, as I said before, until you lose one on home ice. It should be noted San Jose's record at home over the past few seasons hasn't been all that glamorous. Both games, mind you, decided by a goal, one of which needed overtime. Regardless, your team is still down in the series 2 nothing. If you lose Game 3, you essentially have your backs against the wall. Heading into Game 4, you need to win 4 straight to win the Stanley Cup. And it should be noted that Pittsburgh has won all three of their previous Stanley Cup championships outside of Pennsylvania. So instead of every single ounce of energy being spent by the media on the fact your team is down by two games, the media is now focused on the fact that Logan Couture has called Sidney Crosby, who's arguably the best player in the league right now, a cheater when it yeah. comes to winning faceoffs. This was nothing but a distraction. This argument yeah. had no validity to it whatsoever. Crosby is great. Like I said, 71% off the face-offs that night. The Sharks needed a little spark ahead of a must-win Game 3 on home ice, and they needed to have complete focus on the task at hand. Sidetracking the media away from your team can do that, and in this case, fortunately, the Sharks made it the series by winning Game 3. So if that was Couture's intention to distract the media, well, on that night it seemed to work. Yeah, yeah. I mean that—that that is a good point. But who knows? Um, all right, let's get going on next topics. We have a bit of—we have a lot more topics here on the rapid fire. All right, Hitchcock uh, signed to Ken Hitchcock signed to a one-year deal with the Blues. He said that it's likely his last year as an NHL coach. It may he, be. He flat out said he said this is it. This is my yeah. last year during the. But as an NHL coach. It yeah. could it could mean that he's going to be like he's going to take he more of a front, a office, guy, front yeah. office guy, but this will be his last year. I think that makes sense. Um, he kind of wants he won the cup in '99 with the Stars, yeah. Um, but uh, he hasn't won since with you know, with the Blues, but um, also at stints in uh, in Philly and Columbus, yeah. So he's he's definitely a Hall of Fame coach, regardless of what he does here, but. Um, I think, yeah, I guess it makes sense considering they went to the conference finals. He wants to see one more deal with one more year with them. Um, I don't know. It's not like he's tired of coaching. I mean, he said that this year's team was special, unique, a lot of fun to coach. They always battled, never quit. Good bunch of veterans, good blend of youth. Yeah. The result to be successful. And he he, he said this playoff run is one he's going to remember, even though it, it didn't end with a Stanley cup. Um, the, the trick is, uh, you know, the road to get back to where you were, it's not always easy, and it's not going to start off well for them because they just found out that Alex Steen has, uh, is going to have to undergo sh- uh, shoulder surgery, which will keep him out for the, first four to, for the next four to six months. So already they're, they're down a guy. Yeah. But um, I, th- I don't know if, the, like, if he wants, like, one more year with the like to get the cup. I'm not sure if they're there yet. I think they need to add a few more pieces, but yeah. um 
yeah, I mean, it is one more year. I guess there's not much else we can really say about it. But um, uh, someone on my fa- in my Facebook group keeps on like <laughs> keeps on saying how Hitchcock plays too conservative when he has the lead, um, and that's he hates that. But uh, I don't know. Um, and I think the way he dealt with Tarasenko is interesting. I was reading somewhere too that like Tarasenko has some like conditioning things like the Blues think he got too big um, for them, so um, maybe there is something to that, but um, well, he, we'll I, I remember, he, he, I think he had some clashes with, you know, Brett Hall, and yeah. he, 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 he tries, he, he try, uh, the old Ken Hitchcock, you know, he, he was, you know, he was never afraid to speak his mind, and always pushing his guys, I, I think he's, he's trying to, to push them to be better players. Yeah. And I think they see, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko, he's good now. But if he can do this a little better and this a little better and this a little better, he's going to be even better. Yeah, but that's not going to happen if they don't, if he doesn't give him a lot of playing time, you know. So, I don't know. I feel like he should get more playing time. But on the other end, if he's like, you know, if he has conditioning issues, uh, maybe, maybe it's his issue, not the blues, you know, but I think if that's the case, if it's conditioning issues, you don't want to have a guy like Tarasenko burn out. You know, you want to, you want to conserve him. True. And you have him for a long issues time. are result with, maybe they put him on the ice a little more. Yeah. I guess maybe that's why Hitchcock did it. But, um, I guess that, by the way, that's all rumors. It's not hundred yeah. percent true that that's, that's the clash, but at the same time, it, that's probably the likely scenario. Um, Bob McKenzie, uh, went on the radio the other day uh, t- talking to uh, different things. He said a lot of different things, but uh, the big one that stood out was that um, that Tyson Berry is look is going to be traded. He said, there's no question in my mind, I think Tyson Berry is going to be traded. Um, and then he goes on to say, this is not going to make any sense, but I'm going to say it anyways. Colorado is looking for a defenseman. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Yeah, but I don't think they like the economic leverage that Tyson Berry has right now. They shouldn't. Tyson Berry has got a very strong arbitration case. I think he's going to be looking for a sum of money that Colorado doesn't feel comfortable in giving him. Therefore, I think they're looking for somebody who, looking for a different type of defenseman maybe, or one that's not going to cost them as much money. So I think they are in a market for defensemen. I think they are in a market for forwards as well, being a non-playoff team and all. But I definitely think Tyson Berry has been in play, continues to be in play, and there's a real strong chance that he get, can could be traded at some point here. He's And then he goes on to say that Edmonton Oilers are interested in him. Um, so there, he may, he may be a fit there. Um, we'll see. But... Um, yeah, I, I mean, we talked about this on through Facebook, too, um, even in more detail. This, um, I hope the Bruins, like, read this and, like, are, like, already on their phones and just getting them. Because this is the guy we need yeah. from a Bruins standpoint. Um, on the other side, I, can, I, I think you, you said that Tyson Berry is the one guy you don't trade of your defenseman. If you're Colorado, which I agree with in some sense, but on the other hand, he's not great on the defensive end. So maybe, but like, but if you learn from like Dougie Hamilton or guys, um, you know, those things like take time. So um, I think they would be stupid to trade him, but on the other hand, I guess I could see it. Um, It's kind of hard to, you know, Financially, I can see it because they need shutdown yep. defense. The best guy you have is Francois Beauchemin. And, and Eric old. Johnson. Well, Eric Johnson's good too. But yeah, yeah, and they traded him for Kevin Shattenkirk. <laughs> and he really hasn't... He's you been know, good though. Maybe the better all-around player, but Shattenkirk offensively, I think it's had better numbers than Eric Johnson has since Yeah, offensively, trade. but not and like... So what, are you going to get... You know, are you going to try and get a Kevin Shattenkirk? No, you just traded him for Eric Johnson. I don't think he's going to want to go back to Colorado. On top of that, um, apparently I also heard Sammy Votnin being, you yep. know, 
thought of as a possible uh, trade bait, you know, right, a young right-hand shooting defenseman, which is, you know, what most teams, you know, need. Right. A right-hand shooting defenseman. You don't get too many guys like Barry, especially when you consider making $2.6 million last year. Um, zero points in 10 games as a rookie. 13 points in 32 during a lockout-shortened season. 38 points in 67 games in year three. Year four, career-high 53 points in 80 games. This year, fifth season, 49 points in 78 games. Hit double digits in goals each of the last three years. 11 of his 40 career NHL goals have been game winners. And 52 of his 153 NHL points have come with the extra minutes. So, again, power play specialist, that's huge for for a team that ups his value even further. A guy like Sammy Vatnin is not making as much as Tyson Berry is right now. So if you're trying to shed some 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 cap and, and you're a team that's trying to go for it uh, while staying competitive, like maybe Anaheim, uh, you know, I think they would want to show an upgrade, you know, give up Vatnin for Berry. But again, you, you, you have McGinn, who's an RFA, um, Perron, who, uh, sorry, McGinn, who's a UFA, Perron's a UFA, Raquel and Piri are RFAs, Ampus Lindholm's an RFA, Vatnin is an RFA, like Barry is, Freddie Anderson is an RFA, yeah. you have just under $7 million in cap space at season's end. So, A, do you have enough pieces at what Colorado wants to get a deal done? And two, or B, do you keep, how much, uh, do you have the money to keep Tyson Barry locked up long term? Uh, because, again, he's, he's, I think he probably warrants a pay raise with the numbers that he's put up. Yeah. Um, now, he, the thing about Colorado is you're right. They they have some cap issues coming up. Um, Landis Cog can't be dealt. Bodker's the UFA. Soderberg can't be dealt. Eric Johnson, whose average cap it goes from 3.75 to $6 million effective next season and is locked up until 2023, can't be moved. Calvin Pickard's an RFA this season. And here's the big one. Nathan McKinnon is an RFA. And as good a player as Barry has been, to suggest he has more long-term upside than McKinnon uh, has (laughs) is ridiculous. I mean, he's got the same number of points as Barry. Barry's been in the league two years longer than Nathan, uh, who can play center and do several other things that very few NHLers can at any any position. Yeah, Um, I agree with that. Regarding... Regarding the move to Edmonton, you know, they've certainly got the offensive pieces to make the trade for a defenseman. But here's, uh, you mentioned Boston, that's also probably going. one. Here's a better suggestion. Edmonton? The New York Islanders. Oh. If you they lose Pilot need... Poso and Franz Nielsen, both of them are UFAs, with all the offensive prospects they have, Michael Del Cole, uh, Josh Hosang, not to mention the odd defenseman. I think the Islanders could definitely pull the trigger and land Tyson Berry. I but really they don't need defensemen, really. I mean, they have Boychuk. They have, um, oh, what's his name? Um, blanking on his name. The, Boychuk, uh, Letty. Letty. Uh, no, who's that guy who like was going to be traded but then didn't? Um, hold on. Um, hold on, I'm looking at their name. Uh, Letty. Yeah, is it Hammond? Oh, Hammonick. Yeah, Hammonick. Um, yeah, so they have... I don't think they need a defenseman. Um, that's the kind of the thing, though, is, like... It's kind of interesting here is that... Tight, so, like, Colorado wants a defenseman, and yet they're willing to trade, like, their best... Their most promising defenseman. Um, if they can get a shutdown defenseman in Travis Hammonick... Yeah, maybe, but I don't know. I I heard that he doesn't want to be traded now. Um, and they have it. the offensive prospects. They got Hosang. They yeah. got Michael Dal Cole. True. You know, Colorado needs secondary scoring. Yeah. And one of the guys we're going to talk about next, Casey Sezikis. Yeah. I mean, he got signed to a five-year deal, getting paid just over three million average yeah. per year. But the guy has his best point showing in eighty games this year. It was thirty points. In yeah. the previous three seasons, he had 15 points, 16 points, and 18 points. So that's that's even though you sign him to a deal, you know, if, if Colorado asks for him, I, I would I would think of giving up Casey Sizikas. Um I'm just looking on here to see. Uh, so I was looking up. I know you're not a huge advanced stats guy, 
Um, I'm not really that much either, but I was looking at their individual courses for Colorado defensemen. Um, individual courses is like shots plus um, shots directed at net that miss the net, you know, divide uh, minus the, um, you know, shot blocks on the other end. So it's like a plus, plus minus for shots, basically. Um, but... Um, I was just looking here that Eric Johnson has 226 of a course of that Corsi and Tyson Berry has 227. So they have the same kind of uh, advanced stats in that sense. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting, but um, the, uh, and the other thing that you have to think about is that Tyson Berry is only 24 years old. No. Um, he, uh, so he's going to, um, he's on the verge of 25. Yeah, and um, so, it, like, from my perspective of the Bruins, a Bruins fan who, who like, the Bruins dealt Dougie Hamilton, who is in a similar position as Tyson Berry is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you deal away this guy, and then the next year you find out that, like, another team is that stupid to make the same mistake again. Um, and deal Tyson Berry. So I say go for it, but at the same time, I don't want them to like take credit for some some a mistake that they made before. Um, but like I guess like you could like maybe like if you trade like Tory Krug, our San Jose pick, and maybe like uh, another forward. Um, I'm blanking on a forward right now, but like some forward that we may not really well, maybe care about. Maybe one of the three prospects that you drafted back to back to back. Yeah, someone like that. But um, yeah, or, or I was thinking of someone who could play in the league right now. But um, yeah, uh, like some something like that that could work. But um, I don't know if I would want that. I feel like Krug is a slightly worse than Tyson Berry is, but yeah, they we'll they see. need a guy like Tyson Berry. Do they have the the resources that Colorado is looking for? I don't think they don't have think enough they of it, and that's but, why I say the Islanders because you know yeah. the, the shutdown defenseman Travis Hamick, well, You know, even though he rescinded his trade request, yeah. I mean, anyone can be traded in this. League. I, ideally, any like any team that desperately needs a defenseman. So Edmonton Oilers, uh, the. Uh, I guess the Flyers don't need them anymore. Uh, they're no, usually my go-to. The, the Stars. Yeah. Um, I'm nah, just thinking. They, they need shutdown D just like Colorado does. And they're That's also true. within their division. I don't see them going to a division rival. Yeah. Which is also why I see the Islanders making the most sense. Yeah, you might be right, actually. All right. All right, let's get going. Again, it's, it's, just a, it's just a suggestion, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sure he wants to go to a, a place that's going to be competitive. I think the Islanders are... Yeah, yeah, they're, they're on the verge. Uh, so are the Oilers, so are the Bruins. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, I guess the Islanders Martin, are in... Uh, they also have Matt Martin, whose contract is up, and he's kind of yeah. led the league in hits for the last little bit. Yeah, that's true. Um, we can, um, But we'll talk about that in a bit when we talk about Sezikis. But yeah. right now, uh, so P- Peter Mueller... Uh, is, not Peter Muir. Uh, you're thinking of, I think, the former oh, uh, Coyotes yeah. prospect. It's uh, Kirk Muller. Oh, I wrote Peter Mueller on our on our sheet here. Yeah. Uh, Kirk Mueller uh, is now the um, is now the uh, assistant head coach of associate coach uh, is is his role, I believe. Oh, okay, um, of the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he was a former Canadian, um, and it looks like this is like. I, I was just reading up on it. He's like a power play specialist, mm. um, and he was a former Hab. So I think this is like a thing for like if Tyrion can't get it going in, early in the season, Kirk Miller is going to re- be the replacement. Um, so they have the replacement um, in line, basically. Um, I think that's what this means, yeah. Yeah. He had five years assistant coaching experience with the Habs. Then he took a head coaching position in the AHL, which lasted mere months because he was chosen to replace Paul Maurice midway through the uh, 2011-2012 season in Carolina. Three years came and went. Hurricanes dismissed him, hired by the Blues as an assistant coach within eight days, and now back in Montreal, a place where he won a cup in 93, that honor which has eluded Michelle Therrien's grasp for quite some time. And like you said, this hire gives me 
a gut feeling that if Montreal gets off to a slow start, they have a head coach with NHL head coaching experience at the ready if they decide to make a change. I always thought this was a possibility, but this news has pretty much added fuel to the fire and made it look more and more realistic, especially if his French is up to par. <laughs> Kirk Muller could be the guy. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess this is, we'll have to see. But as uh, division fans of division rivals, I guess it means that, um, yeah, the Canadians are getting, this is a good move by the Canadians, but um, we'll see. Um, all right, uh, so I don't, I'm surprised that this isn't been talked about even more now, but uh, Carmanos, I forget his first name. but Peter uh, Carmanos. Peter Carmanos. He, uh, so just a refresher, he is the owner, current owner of the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, he, he was the one who relocated the Hartford Whalers to Carolina. He also owned the OHL's Plymouth yeah, Whalers, who that. are now the circus called the Flint Firebirds. So he's already two. He's made two bad moves, um, and then he's he is making a third bad move because uh, he's probably the biggest one. Yeah, probably the biggest one. Well, I don't know. Arguably, I mean, move, relocating. The biggest one. Yeah, financially, yes, but uh, um, he uh, he uh, he's being sued by his. Three sons, not one, not two, but three. For um, because he they took he took money from their trust fund, um, and um, he took money from their trust fund, and they um, uh, to pay the NHL f- to keep Caroline to keep his ownership, um. And so, it's not. It's. I think it's less the fact that he took money from the trust fund. It's yeah. that he hasn't paid it back, and they want it. Right. Exactly. And, um. But I mean, at the same time, like you don't really you do that either. But yeah. I mean, I mean, so personal just, funds to yeah. to do business. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> look really good on you. Yeah. But I mean, again, this is a guy who's made like very shrewd moves to, um. To keep, you know, be a owner and stuff, but yeah, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's just like a kind of like a crazy story because because um, I I would not want to be in that position. But however, this means that like let's say uh, he does get sued, um, you know, and that it does come out that he does get sued by a lot. This could force him to give up the ownership of the Carolina Hurricanes, and, and maybe they'll be relocated to like Las Vegas or Quebec or somewhere. But um, maybe back to Hartford, bring back the Whalers. But um, no, but uh, the uh, yeah. So I don't know. I think this is uh, something to look out for. But um, yeah. Now this lawsuit, it was. A $105 million lawsuit. Uh, and here's a bit of a background to this. On April 21st, one of the sons requested a payment of $4.3 million be paid within 30 days or the entire $105 million payment was due immediately. Payment, of course, not made. And here we are. Yeah. Um, the father's loan in question dates back to 2013. Uh, and just to sweeten the pot a little bit. Uh, Carmanos entered into various loan and credit agreements, direct quote here, entered into various loan and credit agreements, obtaining tens of millions of dollars in loans and advances from various banks and the league upon information and belief to be used to support the Hurricanes. And the partnership assets in that time frame from 2000 to 2013, 13-14 year period, were listed as collateral. Basically, he promised to repay all the money he borrowed. Uh, to date, he hasn't kept his promise to the letter, according to what we're hearing. And... Uh, Sounds like has a lot of explaining to do in the meantime. Uh, according to Complete Hockey News on May 15th, it should be noted the Canes were reporting a season tickets renewal rate of 86% for all ticket plans and 88% for full season plans for the upcoming 2016-2017 season. Their best renewal rate in eight years. But if Carmanos keeps borrowing cash at this rate, yeah. I don't like the ending to this. Well, I would... Also, the Hurricanes have had the worst attendance uh, this year. Yeah. Um. So, the, and it doesn't really bode well. I feel like 
<laughs> this kind of story has kind of been down. Like, I don't know what the phrase is, but it's it's not getting as much spotlight. But like it's kind of like it's very fitting for Carolina because Carolina has been pretty ir- irrelevant for a long well, time. Well, yeah, now. I mean when you keep borrowing money, yep. I uh, you know that pretty much isn't yours. You're just borrowing money, yeah. borrowing money, and more and more and more. It's it, you know what that says. You're losing money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of money, uh, Casey Zizekas, um, as we just talked about um, a while ago, um, he uh, he got he signed to a five-year deal, sixteen uh, sixteen point seven five million. So that's three point three five per year, which um, is less than what the Carmanos uh, brothers are asking for. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so this is an interesting move because he's a fourth-line guy. Um, I guess this means that he may be moving up to the third line, or that's what I've read, um, which makes a little bit more sense. Um, but who knows if he's worth it? Um, yeah, it's. I don't know. I feel like the Islanders always make these like crazy deals, kind of, to like, but like they don't make that much sense. Um, but uh, maybe they work out. You know, you can't really criticize them if they, you know, they make the playoffs. But, his um, nine goals in 2014-2015 remain his personal best at the NHL level. Yeah. Um, but mind you, he got 45 points in 52 AHL games yeah. in 2011-2012. So he's got that offensive step. He just needs to show it at the NHL level. And yeah. they're hoping from going from 15 to 16 to 18 points and then 30 this year yeah. that he's on his way of doing so. But, again, I, I pose the question, if you have Tyson Berry up for discussion, I think you could see Casey Sezikis going to Colorado. Well, I don't think he's going. You may be right about, like... Hey, Ottawa signed also to a long-term deal, and within days he was traded for Danny Heatley. Okay, well, now I have hope. Maybe Kevin... There's a chance, probably not a realistic chance, but there's a chance. Well, now I have hope, because then that that means that uh, Kevin Miller could be traded. Or Louis Erickson could be re-signed. Who knows? Well, actually, there is talks. There is talks that Louis Erickson could be uh, is is might be getting signed. But um, there's also the talks that Radulov wants upwards of ten million for his yeah, next NHL contract, and I know that's gonna. And Lucic wants to go to Edmonton, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so there are, there are a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of there, different. There are things. a lot of theories that probably will just yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I thought that Casey Sezikis was good on the faceoffs, but it turns out he's not. So I wasn't going to make that point. Um, let's go uh, t- uh, to the next topic. Voinov is a no-go on the World Cup. It was kind of, uh, the NHL just said he's not going, so I guess they're going to replace him with someone. Well, yeah, um, I mean, you shouldn't be playing in a tournament run by the NHL if the NHL has told him he can't play in the exactly. league based on his previous actions. So this is yeah. a no-brainer for me. Um, ads, uh, so the NHL is going to try ads on the World Cup jerseys. I'm actually okay with this on the given on this only in this condition that if they do put it in the NHL it's like just small like I don't want it to be like a euro jersey where like ads are everywhere on the yeah. jersey you know but like if it's like just a small like patch somewhere I'm fine with that yeah, like the OHL, yeah. they, they have CCM uh, or, or yeah. something or whatever that sponsors their jerseys like yeah, that's on, fine. On, uh, on the front patch there yeah, and that's I'm, pretty much it. I feel like I'm like uh, I feel like I'm uh, I'm I'm alone in this opinion, but I, I'm I'm okay with it because I know that's like eventually every league's gonna have this. So, yeah. but uh, just I mean, it's it's an untapped revenue tool, and, and it's in um and like soccer, which is the biggest sport in the you know in the world, has mm-hmm. like you know they have ads on jerseys too. So, um, I'm okay with it, but um. It should be interesting to see how they do it exactly in the World Cup. Um, yeah. I don't know if you and have any more perspective it's not, on that. It's not a matter of, you know, immediately doing that to the NHL afterwards. Bettman says they're going to listen to what the fans have to say. They're going to take the feedback and make yeah. decisions on the use of ads on jerseys, if they'll do it at all, how much is too much yeah. ad-wise. I um, think I read somewhere I, that... Within that, the next yeah. five years, it wouldn't surprise me if this is league-wide, though. I mean, yeah, this is a business. If, they, if Bettman, if there's one thing he's done... Lockouts aside, 
he's grown this league as a business. If they can yeah. make more money, increase the capital a little bit, I think he's going to do it. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know. I I didn't know about that whole fan thing because I feel like he doesn't really care about what the fans think, you know. Well, but it, 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 according to what I read from the hockey news, it, it, it certainly gave that impression that you know that that that, that uh, the league was going to take uh, was going to consider the feedback from the so, fans. They're, so they're like, it's, it's a wait and see approach. I guess so. Yeah. So, like, the, I guess, like, what I mean is, like, let's say it gets, like, crucified in the media or whatever, um, like, on Twitter or whatever, then they're, like, they're not going to, I guess they would back down from that, but I don't know. It's, if it's done correctly, I don't think too many people are going to mind it. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, speaking of jerseys, the Florida Panthers unveiled their new jerseys. Uh-huh. I, um, it's, like, there's, like, people on Twitter who, like, really like it and people on Twitter who don't like it at all. I'm in the... Uh, there's, like, no in-between. I'm actually... I, I kind of like them. I like how they're changing it up, but, um... I don't know. We don't really talk about jerseys that often, but I thought I should put that in there. I don't and know Matt, if you have the, any... The, the Arizona Coyotes, they're, they're new jerseys. It took some getting used to, but I kind of like them. This yeah. one is going to take a few years for me. Yeah. I mean, it, the, their logo looks too much like the NFL's Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, it does look like a soccer jersey, speaking of soccer yeah. jerseys. But, and, uh, um... The Sochi, um... I think it was... I think it was the Sochi, uh... The team in, in Sochi and the KHL said, Hey, it looks, uh... It looks a bit like ours, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I mean, I, I like, I just like the whole, like, I like the mix and match. I feel like the yellow, that kind of yellow uh, mixes well with the white. But, um, yeah, so uh, there's that. Although the logo looks generic, I'll give them that. And then um, uh, Memorial Cup news. Uh, uh, the London Knights won. I don't know if you want to talk about it. I actually watched, but yeah. uh, you know more than I did. It was a good. You were wrong, but the uh, but uh, uh, Ruin Naranda gave um yeah gave them a uh, quite the fight. Yeah, uh, and the funny thing is, due to previous commitments, I couldn't watch the entire game. In fact, I left with less than eight minutes remaining, and it was two one Ruin Naranda uh, at that point. So I pretty much missed. I caught everything but the good part. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but did you at least the, see it, though? You the parts that I did see, I really, really liked. It was probably start to finish one of the best games I've seen yeah. this year. Um, and it was only fitting after doing most of their damage in the first 20. The Huskies yeah. and Knights failed to score in the first period. And after the team that hadn't lost a hockey game since April 1st opened the scoring, 15 seconds later, the CHL's number one team evens the score at one. Uh, stay that way into the third, uh, and then yes, have a gorgeous flip pass from Jerry uh, Lozon to uh, the stick of Alexander Fortin. He dishes it to Julian Nantel for the, a beauty backdoor finish to put Ruin Rand up two to one. Uh, and from a game that was up for grabs for start to finish, only fitting the Knights tied at two with over four minutes left in regulation. Um, but you know, you can't end in a tie. Got to go to overtime. And after almost eight minutes of free overtime magic, the London fans would say good night and sleep tight, knowing that their team uh, won its second Memorial Cup title. Um, again, neither team really had the upper hand. Like, yeah, it did seem, period, it did seem uh, pretty even matched. That's true. Um, Francis Perron, like, again, he, he played a great game. Um, shots were 22 21 for Runaranda after 40. Through 60, it was a 2-2 game. Uh, London outshot them at the end of the game, 33-31. to um, Huskies won the faceoff battle, 32-31, to narrowly. Uh, and one one team had a chance to strike it. It always seemed the other team was quick to take it the other way and get a shot on goal of their own. Um, again, you talk about the London Knights' top line. Um, and while the Huskies couldn't handle hold them off the score sheet for a full 60-minute game, in all fairness to them, nobody could stop them. I mean, Marner's 14 points gave him the tournament MVP. The line as a whole combined for 34 points in four games. And Kachuk and, got the game winner. 
Yeah, and 17 straight wins to close out the season. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But they held Marner to just one point. He got his chances, but it always seemed the Huskies' defense did an excellent job of getting their sticks in the passing lanes, disrupting their chemistry. Because, like, I saw a lot of backdoor plays, backdoor attempts. Yeah. And London, nine times out of ten, they would finish that. But there were a lot of opportunities where they could have cashed in, and they didn't. And... And, like, it was either off target, turned aside by the goalie, blocked or delayed because the pass is not handled clear, cleanly. And, and, again, that's all because the defense pressured them, um, you know, in, 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 in the offensive side. They, they pressured them. They forced them to make decisions too quickly. That also affects their ability to add things going on the power play. They were they, – they, they got a donut on the power play on yeah. uh, a couple of opportunities. They, they couldn't score. And so they were, the reality is they were five minutes away from shutting down the London Knights <laughs> and almost making me look like a genius. But again, like you said, if you can't beat the best, then you know, you've gotten beaten by the best. Yeah. Uh, and Could and I like, I like the fact that Ruin Aranda was, was pretty disciplined. Like the Knights only took two penalties, only yeah. one of which was an offsetting minor uh, and one of which was an offsetting minor. So they only, only gave a Ruin Aranda one chance on a power play. The Huskies, you know, they took a pair of undisciplined penalties, but they limited those number of penalties. Knights only had five chances to capitalize, but Huskies killed off all five, a 12-second five-on-three as well. So, yeah. again, keeping their emotions in check, Ruin Aranda did a good job of that. And and the goalies were absolutely brilliant. I don't know if you're watching uh, – Tyler yeah, I was watching. Chase Marchand going at it. Like, they were going toe save for toe save in that Yeah, in that the, I was watching. But, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they were good. Um, to the point where I was watching the post-game interview of Matthew Kachuk, and he was saying, I don't know if there's any truth to this, but they said that there's, uh, that the London Knights, this London Knights team should be in the conversation of the greatest CHL team or something to that effect. I don't know if there's any uh, like validity. I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but um, I thought well, that was interesting. Based on just because they the did players, win, like they had that winning streak at the end, you know. I, I think based on the amount of players that they had that went on to play NHL level hockey in 2005, I still put that team ahead of this one. But the, oh, the I think they wanted to leave their own legacy, and I think they succeeded in doing that. Was that the one that had Patrick Kane and John Tavares? Patrick Kane, Kostitsin. Oh, Kostitsin. Um, they had Robbie Shrimp, probably the best player on that team. John Not Tavares was the... They had David Boland, too. Tavares was a London Knight, right? For a brief time, and that was in, oh, I think, oh, uh, that was... A few years later, oh, okay. and so was Steve Mason, mind you. But again, a year after that. So. Okay. So I, I just I just know that Kane and Tavares were both London Knights. Uh, yeah, Kane all. was on that 2005 team. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right about that. Uh, and, yeah. And Dvorak so. played really good as well. Like the second round steal for Arizona. I mean, yeah. Uh, a gorgeous flip pass to Marner, um, who made who, who directed it on that Kachuk with a beautiful tip, and you know. That could chuck. If you see that shot in overtime that he made, yeah, I did see like, that. The boys oh, are so good. The only way you could beat him was a perfect shot, and yeah. it can't get much better than that. Yeah, like goalie had no chance. Going full circle, it's uh, it was a lot like that uh, Don Square in terms of like it was a perfect shot. But yeah, um, yeah. all right, let's get. Uh, we'll go to uh, sad news now. Um, so Muhammad Ali da, uh, passed away on was it I think it was Friday early it was Saturday late, late Friday yeah early Saturday morning um he uh this obviously this is in hockey related but he did influence the world in a huge amount I, I was talking about earlier about how like I want guys who are willing to speak their mind to the media um, and Muhammad Ali is probably the biggest one who always spoke his mind to the point where he protested the Vietnam War and didn't want to go. So, um, he, uh, yeah, so he's, a he's an inspiration, I'm sure, to a ton of NHL athletes and a ton of athletes ever. He's probably the greatest athlete ever. Um, yeah, so. you, you look at, 
you know, even like LeBron James, you know, one yeah. of the NBA's top players, and Steph Curry also in that mix today. Both of them were talking about right. Muhammad Ali. And, like, this this is one of those yeah. athletes, you know, he wasn't a hockey player, he was a boxer, but Same I, I think, right? like, he was one of those guys that probably every single person knew about and probably yeah. should know about. I mean, the age of 74, battling Parkinson's for the last few decades. Um, 30 a fighter years. right to the end like he was hospitalized with respiratory issues a few days yeah. before his death um, put on life support a day later his organs began to fail one by one and after all of his organs had died the heart that kept this fighter alive kept beating for 30 minutes until he died of septic shock all organs failing and his heart keeps beating for half an hour yeah I like guess that's, that's like a microcosm of what his life was yeah it fought right to the end, gave everything he had for what he believed in, and gave everything he could to those we loved the most. It probably taught us a thing or two about how we should live our lives. And yeah. in, its, in his final hours, he kept on fighting until he couldn't fight any longer. Yeah. Uh, he's without a doubt the best there was, uh, is, best there was, best there ever will be, no doubt the greatest of all time. And I don't think we'll ever see another person like Muhammad Ali because of yeah. – what he had to go through, all the barriers that he had to overcome, barriers that don't exist to the certain extent uh, yeah. back then that they do today because of what he did, because he stuck up. He stood up for what he believed in. And he wasn't afraid to speak his mind, to put his career on the line. Yeah. This guy, he was, I think he was a better person outside of his profession than he was uh I think he's a better person than he was a fighter, and he was a very good fighter. Yeah. But I think, I think when, I think athletes, you know, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people are going to remember be remember them for what they did in their profession. But I think what he did outside of his profession, I think, I would hope to a certain extent, overshadowed what he did in the boxing ring because those are. Those are the guys that we should be telling, our, uh, that we should be telling future generations about. Yep. And I think if we keep his legacy alive, um, and and keep the life lessons he taught us uh, close to our hearts, this world is going to be a better place. Um, it's our turn to carry the torch now. Uh, may his words never die, and our condolences to his family during this difficult time. Rest in peace, Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time dead at the age of 74. On that note, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth, and we'll talk again in episode 35.